Thank you. Yes, thank you. Please. Thank you. Yes. Dr. Buskert and uh, Pastor Buskert, uh, I'm honored and humbled. It's no small thing to give up your pulpit to somebody else and trust them to take that for a Sunday, and I don't take that lightly. Before I read the scripture for this morning and then uh, open with prayer, I want to make something very, very clear. I am a teacher. I'm not a preacher. So if you came this morning expecting to get a fire and brimstone sermon, you probably are going to be disappointed because I'm going to emphasize again, I teach. I've not been trained to preach. So if you pay attention, class, if you pay attention, I actually may grant you some college credit for this after we're done. That's, of course, if, you, if you're willing to pay $500 a credit hour to get it. <laughs> I'd like to read a passage out of the Gospel of John this morning, chapter 8. I'm going to start with verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say we will become free? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to get together this morning as a group of believers who trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, who honor your word, who want to follow you, and as human beings, desperately want to be free. Give us the courage and the conviction and the clarity to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um. If you want to give this uh, lesson this morning a title, you could give it this. The Lesson of Blue and the Lesson of Bruce. Two bookends to my talk. We're going to start out with the Lesson of Blue. I will conclude with the Lesson of Bruce. Freedom. I've learned something in watching my dog. Now, I don't know how many other people in here are dog lovers, but I am. I am a confessed Labrador addict. I have three chocolate labs at home. I love Labradors. Labradors are the greatest dogs in the world. They're nothing but great big 100-pound pillows that sit at your feet in the morning while you're having a cup of coffee and keep your feet warm. Labradors are kind and generous. They laugh when they run in the field, and then they enjoy being a dog. Now, I have three chocolates right now. Chip is 112 pounds. He needs a saddle. He's really not a dog. He's a pony. Bear is his brother at 109. Caddy is their mother who curses the day we kept those two pups because she despises them now. She's at 80, and as my oldest son Seth Lev says, uh, she's just basically given up on life. Caddy lays around, we call her our big house cat. Now the lesson of blue is the story of another Labrador that we had to put down just last year. See, we moved to Oklahoma from Michigan in 2012 and we had a six-month-old black Labrador named Blue. 
You say, why did we name our black dog Blue? Well, for the gray hairs in here like me, you probably remember Lobo's 1972 song, Me and You and a Dog Named Boo Traveling and Living Off the Land. Me and You and a Dog Named Boo, How I Love Being a Free Man. Remember that song? Please humor me. Raise your hand if you do. There, you guys know good music. Young people, catch these folks afterwards. Lobo, 1972. I'll, re- I'll, I'll give you the verse again. Me and you and a dog named Boo traveling and living off the land. Me and you and a dog named Boo, how I love being a free man. You see, I misunderstood Lobo's lyrics for me and you and a dog named Blue, so we named our black lab Blue because I didn't understand that it was Boo, not Blue, that Lobo was singing about. Confusing, I know. It doesn't have anything to do with much of anything, but now you know why our dog was named Blue. The lesson of Blue. I've learned something. You see, if Blue wants to be free, if Blue wants to be free, if my dog is going to enjoy being a Labrador, if she's going to be let off the leash, off of the chain, out of the pen, If I'm going to leave the gate to the fence open, there's only one way I can do this. Blue has to recognize where the boundaries of the property are. And the only way that she will learn those boundaries is is if she pays attention to me. You see, I'm the one who sets the boundaries. I'm the one who knows where the property lines are. I'm the one who knows that if you go beyond this particular border... The road is just on the other side, and if you run out there, Blue, what's going to happen? You're going to get killed. You're going to get hurt in the very least. You see, Blue is only going to be free, and free indeed, if she learns that I'm God and she's not. I have to be the end-all and the be-all for Blue if Blue is going to be set free. And when she does learn to discipline herself and honor me as her master, I can let her go. And my dog enjoys the world. The world is is her oyster. She runs. She smiles. She enjoys being a Labrador. But if she refuses, I love my dogs. If she refuses to obey... If she gets stubborn and she refuses to honor my rules and and if she thinks she can decide where the property lines are, I put her on a leash and I lock the gate. See, it's the paradox of discipline and freedom. You are only free when you learn to discipline yourself to the master's voice, right? Now, you all know this. Now, whether you're dog lovers or not, you did... You do reside in Oklahoma. And here's a point, in fact, when I drove down here this morning from Bartlesville, I drove through several ranches. I looked to the right and to the left as I was coming south on 75, and the cattle were out there enjoying the morning, enjoying enjoying their breakfast. Now, here's the thing. Those cattle are free. But why are they free? They're free because there are fences. That's the paradox of freedom and fences, liberty and law, discipline and freedom. You know, at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, we have four fence posts. I'm going to bore you with that just a little bit here. Now, I might, be, I might not be the smartest guy on the block, and I might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I do remember a little bit about freshman-level 
geometry. If you want to enjoy or take advantage of a full piece of property, let's say, a field, where these cattle are roaming when I drove down here this morning, you need to have a fence around that field, right? And most fences that I'm aware of have four corner posts. Why? Because let's just assume that this sanctuary represents a field. It's a rectangle. And if you want to enjoy all the space within this piece of property, you probably need four fence posts, not one, not two, not three, but four. And why is that the case? Well, if you have one post, the animal within this property will only be safe, will only be safe if you chain it to the post. So that animal's freedom will be limited to the length of the chain. 10 feet, 20 feet, 30 feet, it will have freedom to roam the circumference of that particular area with the post as its center, but it has no freedom beyond the chain with one post. Now, you could put two posts on that property, and you could say, be free, let the animal go. But most animals that I'm aware of, whether it's a Labrador or a cow, will sooner or later figure out that there's an end to that fence and will go around the end out of curiosity or out of disobedience and get out in the road. So one post gives limited freedom. Two posts gives the illusion of freedom. But if there's no discipline, the animal still is in danger, correct? Now, three posts. You would argue if you put up three posts and string a fence between those three corners that you could let the animal go free, and you would be right. You put a post here and a post here and a post back there, you have a triangle. And the animal can enjoy that space. You can let him off the leash. The cow can roam. The dog can run. But what's the problem with that? It's half the freedom that you should have. There's this half of the room that the animal will never see and enjoy that he or she could if there was just one more post. Four posts gives those cows the ultimate freedom to roam the property that the master owns. One post doesn't do it. The cow will run around in a circle. The dog will be chained to that post. Two posts is dangerous. It gives the illusion. Three posts, yes, you can let them go, but you've limited creation to half of what it's supposed to be. So here's the lesson today. Four posts gives you the most freedom. Not zero, not one, not two, not three, but four. And every time I talk to my students at Oklahoma Wesleyan, and this morning you are among those students, I emphasize four things. You're here to learn within the ultimate freedom and liberty and liberation that God has given you within his creation. Because students, the Liberal Arts Academy was established, let's say back in the 1200s at Oxford and Cambridge. The Liberal Arts Academy was established to do what, students? Give you liberty give you liberation. The Liberal Arts Academy was created and invented to liberate a man and a woman, to educate a free society. Sidebar, off script here for a minute. As a conservative, I wrote a book a couple years ago, and the title of the book 
was why I'm a liberal and other conservative ideas. I was poking a stick in the eye of culture today, if you will, and I was arguing that as a bold and unapologetic conservative, a person who's a conservationist, a person who believes in conserving things, yes, water and trees and owls and whales, I'm responsible to conserve those things because God has made me a steward of all of that. But if I'm responsible to conserve animals and the environment, shouldn't I also be responsible to conserve the time-tested truths of God? To reclaim and redeem and revive and regenerate and restore and reform those things that have been lost to the definition of sin and bring them back in to what they were truly supposed to mean in the first place. Why I'm a liberal and other conservative ideas. I'm going to reclaim the definition of liberal and say, I stand for liberty, I stand for freedom. Back to the four posts. Students, there are four posts in life. And if you honor those posts, those posts will set you free. The first post is the primacy of Jesus Christ. Post number one, the primacy of Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. The second post is the priority of Scripture. Scripture is the Word of God. First post, this corner, the primacy of Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. Second post, this corner. The priority of Scripture. Scripture is the Word of God. Third post. Third post is the pursuit of truth. The primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture, and the pursuit of truth. Drive the third post in the ground. And then the fourth post is the practice of wisdom. Now I'll go over that again. Good teaching is always repetitious. There was once a story that was a retired president of Earlham College in Indiana was once asked, what's the secret of a successful college presidency? And he said three things. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Stay on message. You know, it's said that Ronald Reagan had one speech his entire career. They called it the speech, the speech. He said the same thing over and over and over again. The great communicator knew how to stay on message. Stay on task. So let's go back over it. The primacy of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Son of God. The priority of Scripture, Scripture is the Word of God. The pursuit of truth, truth is given by God. It is not made up by you or me. And the practice of wisdom, the practice of holiness, the practice of sanctification, the practice of what you preach is demanded by God. It's not optional. Four posts that I would argue will set you free. Now, why do I believe that? Well, first, the primacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus says he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I Am, the Word made flesh and dwelling among us, our Savior and our King, our Lord and our God, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, my Redeemer, my Guide, my Peace, my Joy, my Comfort, my Life, and my Light. Jesus is risen, incarnate, the Son of God, the Alpha and the Omega, the lens of all learning, and the Lord of our daily lives. The primacy of Jesus Christ. It is said that C.S. Lewis's great formula, the lie, liar, the lunatic, or the Lord, is a great way to understand and make a decision on who Jesus is. He said either Jesus is the greatest liar of all time and he's duped millions of people for the past 2,000 years, or he's a lunatic because no man would claim to be God, be able to rise from the grave, and then claim 
to be the forgiver of your sins unless he was nuts. Lewis said on the level of a poached egg. So he's either a liar or he's the lunatic or what? He actually is who he claims to be. Our Lord. Jesus is the Son of God, the primacy of Jesus Christ. I believe that that is true. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he's historically validated, and I believe that he is who he claims to be. As George MacDonald, C.S. Lewis, a spiritual mentor, if you will, in the early 1900s, late 1800s perhaps, said, In my attempt to obey the words recorded as his, I have seen grandeur beyond the realm of any human invention, and therefore I cast my lot with those of the crucified. That's good stuff. I'm going to give you that one again. In my attempt to obey the words recorded as his, I have seen grandeur beyond the realm of any human invention, and I therefore cast my lot with those of the crucified. The primacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. What was the second one? The priority of Scripture. Scripture is the Word of God. The Bible is true. It's not transient. It's inspired. It's not constructed. It is accurate. It is not relative. It is not to be added to or subtracted from. It is to be hidden in your heart and proclaimed with your mouth. It is given by inspiration and breathed by God himself. The Bible is inerrant, infallible, authoritative. It is the written word of God, and it guides us in all matters of faith and learning and living. The primacy of Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, and the priority of Scripture, Scripture is the word of God. Now, the third post was, class, the pursuit of truth. The primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture, and the pursuit of truth. Now, I'm going to camp out on this one for just a minute. We're in college this morning. I'm an academic. I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher. I believe in pursuing truth. I believe in pursuing truth. Now, you may say, duh, that's self-evident. I'm going to say it one more time, and if you've been following education at all in the last decade or two, what I just said is very controversial. I believe in pursuing truth. Why is that controversial? Because almost every single academic that you could possibly bring in to speak to you today would disagree with that. You know that truth is not truth with a capital T today. There are no truths with capital T's. There are just lowercase truths. We all construct our reality as we go through life, and nobody really knows what's true. Right? That's what most every other college president or academic would tell you. And to that I say baloney. That's nonsense. Real academic critique there. Truth is revealed by God. It isn't constructed by you. It is objective and it's attainable. It's immutable and it's constant. It is salvation to the damned and it's freedom to the slave. As Os Guinness says, all truth is God's truth and it's true everywhere for everyone under all conditions. Truth is true even if no one believes it and falsehood is false even if everyone believes it. Truth is true and that's just the end of it. Scott was talking to you about commencement. I don't know which one he was in. And the reason that I give the best commencements in the world is they're usually eight minutes or less in duration. That's why he said that. I'm notorious for giving short commencement speeches because I know you're not here to listen to me. You want to get your diploma. And a couple years ago, I gave one of those short speeches. And after I was done giving the five to eight minute address, I said this. 
look, it's time to graduate. You're sitting out there in your funny cap and gown, and I'm standing up here in mine. I've bored you silly for the last few minutes giving you this commencement address, but we all know that's not why you're here. You're ready to graduate, students, so it's time for you to stand to my left, your right, up here on the edge of the podium, the platform, if you will, and as we call your name in alphabetical order, you're going to mount, march across the stage, and I'm going to reach over, and I'm going to shake your hand, and I'm going to hand you your diploma. And I'm going to pat you on the back, and I'm going to whisper in your ear. And I'm going to say, congratulations. You now have a degree in opinions. And you could hear a pin drop in the auditorium at Oklahoma Wesleyan University because they thought this guy has lost his mind. What is he talking about? He's going to congratulate our students on having a degree with a major in opinions? And after it sank in for just a second, I said, students, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, what I just did was insult you. I dared to suggest that after four years of study, four years of quizzes, four years of memorization, four years of tests, four years of going to class, four years of lousy cafeteria food, four years of having to live with a roommate that you don't like, four long years of paying tuition at Oklahoma Wesleyan University, that all you got out of it was an opinion. And I sure hope that's not the case. Because if that is true, then you wasted your money. You see, students, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care. And you shouldn't care that much about mine. You didn't come here to get an opinion. You came here to learn something. Something. Hopefully a little bit more in your area of emphasis, in your discipline, than what you knew when you started. And if you want to disagree with me and say, oh, in this postmodern era, I just think that's your opinion on what education should or should not be, then let me ask you a simple question. Do you design airplanes on the basis of your opinion? Because if, if as an engineer you do, would you please tell me which airplane it is that you just designed? Because I don't want to get in it. Nor do you. The thing won't fly, and you know it, and so do I. And maybe you're a nurse and you administer medication on the basis of your opinion. Stay away from me. You're dangerous. You're dangerous. You don't know what you're doing. You see, truth sets you free, but opinions always enslave. Opinions always lead to bondage. Case in point, Pol Pot had an opinion. Mao had an opinion. Hitler and Chavez and Robespierre had opinions. Mao and Mussolini had opinions. The despots of history all had opinions. And history tells us it didn't end very well, did it? I'll say it again, students. Opinions always, always lead to bondage. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The primacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. The priority of Scripture. Scripture is the Word of God. And the pursuit of truth. Truth is given by God. It isn't made up by you. I don't care what your opinion is. And it's not made up by me. Don't let anybody intimidate you with some stupid piece of sheepskin that says he's got a higher degree than you. It doesn't make any difference. That doesn't mean I have the right to impose my opinion upon you. Think. 
think. The primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture, and the pursuit of truth. Now, these three posts, I grant you, I can turn you loose, and you'll be free to some measure. But you're Methodists. You're Wesleyans. So I'm going to give you the fourth post. It's yours. It's yours. John and Charles Wesley approached the church in the mid-1700s and said, you've got orthodoxy, but you forgot your orthopraxy. You believe the right things, Jesus, truth, and scripture, but you forgot something. You guys are hypocrites. You're not doing the things you claim to believe. You're not practicing what you preach. We believe in the methods of holy living. We believe in a habitual, a habit, a discipline of obeying Jesus. Drive the fourth post over there in the corner and you double your property. Be free. Practice what you preach. And if you're an athlete, you know what I'm saying makes sense because if you don't practice, you're nothing but an armchair quarterback that'll sit around this afternoon in your lazy boy criticizing those that are actually doing it on TV. That doesn't make you free to enjoy your sport. You've got to go do it. You've got to memorize the plays. You've got to pay attention to the coach. You've got to go through the pain if you want the gain of athletic freedom, right? And if you're a musician, you know this is true. You can't do what these guys did up here if you don't practice. You don't have a concerto. You have chaos if you don't know the rhyme and the rhythm and the cadence of music. If you can't read music you can't perform as a musician. John and Charles Wesley came into the church. Your great-grandfathers, the founders of the Methodist movement, came into the church and said, you have to integrate. You have to be integrationists. You have to believe in integration. We're not segregationists. We don't separate, segregate, head and heart, fact and faith, and belief and behavior. We integrate. We unify. We bring them back together. We reclaim, redeem. We bind together, fact and faith, head and heart, belief and behavior. I'm going to wrap this up here. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What are the four cornerstones of truth? The primacy of Christ. He is the Son of God. The priority of Scripture. It is the Word of God. The pursuit of truth. It isn't made up by you or me. It's given by God. And then finally, don't forget your heritage. It's powerful. It's a message that culture needs. It's the practice of wisdom, of holiness, of sanctification, of obedience. It's doing what Nike says to do. Just do it. Just do it. Now, lest you think, and I always have to say this if I'm speaking in a Baptist church because they get nervous right now. They think this Wesleyan is preaching a salvation by works. Now, you know I'm not, but I don't want anybody confused just in case. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. Your works aren't going to save you. But Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. And he also said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do X, Y, and Z in your name? And he says, get away from me. I never knew you. No, how could that be the case? Maybe it's because there was hypocrisy rather than integrity in their lives. And people were believing the right things, but they weren't committed to behaving in the right way. And therefore, their faith was called into question as nothing but Pharisaic legalism. I don't know, but he said it. 
Maybe we ought to tend to it. And I would say this, that the good reform theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer even said, that belief without behavior is empty. That belief without behavior is empty. All right. The primacy of Jesus Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom. The lesson of blue. If you want to be free, recognize where the fence is. If you want to be free... Recognize that God put up a fence for a reason. G.K. Chesterton said it this way, there is no liberty without law. There is no liberty without law. Chesterton said, let's suppose that this plateau that you all live upon, this community that you all enjoy, the one that's surrounded by cliffs on all sides, Let's suppose that you want to build a playground on this plateau and it's going to be the best playground in the world. It's going to have all the ball fields, all the bells, all the toys, all the whistles. Your kids are going to be able to enjoy this playground every day. There's none better in the world. Chesterton challenged us then to think about this. If you want them to be free on that playground, you better build a fence. Because if you don't, They're going to fall off the edges and get hurt or killed. Or you're going to get very legalistic and you're going to police them and you're going to have parents out there yelling at them and haranguing them and saying, stay away, stay away from the edges. If you want them to be free, build a fence. Chesterton also said that if you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty. You get thousands upon thousands upon thousands of little laws. Does that make sense? Turn on the nightly news tonight and it will. If you get rid of the big laws of God, you don't get liberty. You get thousands upon thousands upon thousands of man-made little laws. You get slavery. You get bondage. All right, I'm going to close with the lesson of Bruce. Start with the lesson of Blue, my dog. Bruce is one of my older brothers. Bruce is uh, a Vietnam-era Beatles and Rolling Stones, 1960s kid. And Bruce enjoyed all that that era afforded him. You see, our mother raised the four boys to go to church on Sunday morning. Our dad wasn't a Christian, and uh, my wife calls me the white sheep of the family. I'm the one that Christianity kind of took with, and my three brothers kind of didn't want anything to do with my mom's Christianity. Too many rules. Too many posts, too many fences. We want to enjoy the 60s. We want to do our thing. Well, Bruce did, and if you fast forward to the year 2002, the year I came to Oklahoma, Bruce, as a result of enjoying all of those liberties and all of those freedom of the 60s, had some issues in his life. He had several addictions, and one night in a drunken stupor or perhaps a drug-induced fit of rage, or maybe a combination of both, my brother decided that he was angry with his wife, Rhonda, and that the best way to get back at her was to burn the house down while she was in it. Well, he didn't do a very good job at doing anything other than making Rhonda angry. She didn't think that was a very good idea. She thought there was a truth with a capital T, and that truth included you shouldn't be trying to 
do this to me. So Rhonda called the police. And as a result, Rhonda was put, or excuse me, Bruce was arrested and put in jail. And every Thursday afternoon at 1.45, the weeks before I moved to Oklahoma, I would visit my brother Bruce. And the reason I did that at Thursday on 1.45 was because that's when visitation in the Hillsdale County Jail was permitted. Now, Bruce was in his orange jail fatigues during those meetings, and I was in my suit and tie. There was a plate glass window between the two of us. So my question to you, class, Thursday at 1.45 in the afternoon, who was free? Who was free? The guy who decided to live without boundaries, without rules, to make it up as he goes, to worship Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones more so than he would possibly serve a Savior, Jesus Christ. Thursday at 145, who was free? The guy that decided to honor the few simple laws of our mother that were grounded in the Ten Commandments and the Lordship of Jesus Christ, or the guy that decided to abandon all of that and go do his own thing? Thursday afternoon at 145, who was free? Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Okay, class, you've listened to me for longer than you probably wanted to. I'm going to tell you this. Okay, I'm off my speech now. This is just my encouragement to you, and I think Pastor, or Dr. Busker is going to come and close. My passion is this. Our culture is begging for someone to say this stuff. This is not unpopular. Oh, it'll be made to look unpopular by the media and a few elites that don't want to be challenged because they're so arrogant and pompous as to think that they can make stuff up as they go. But I'm telling you that your 18-year-old kids are begging you to help them understand this because they're living in a bankrupt culture that's going to hell in a handbasket, and they don't like it. They want somebody to give them the freedom of Christ and give them some boundaries that they can enjoy and live within robustly and energetically. They want to get involved in a pursuit of truth rather than somebody squashing them with politically correct opinions all the time. I know this is true. If I can go on the O'Reilly factor, and I'll close with this, Why in the world is Bill O'Reilly calling me? Little Oklahoma Wesleyan University in northeast Oklahoma, Bartlesville, Oklahoma. Bill O'Reilly is calling me to comment on religious freedom and the debates within the culture today about religion and secularism. Why? Do you know why? Because no one else would answer. Literally. He said on the program that night, we couldn't get anybody to come on. We called the board of Catholic bishops. We called other religious leaders. Nobody would return our phone call. I had to interrupt him and I had, because he was on some rant about that. I wanted to talk, so I said, Mr. O'Reilly, you got me, so let's talk. <laughs> My point is, you've got a blue-collar kid with a mom and dad that didn't graduate from high school. A kid that went to work in a factory after he did. A kid that picked apples in an apple orchard because I didn't know what else to do. A kid who couldn't get a job out of college, so I went to try to get one in a 
gas station and I was turned down. You've got a kid that I'm not an academic. I'm not a scholar. I just happen to have a piece of sheepskin that says I am. But because I'm brash enough and bold enough and cocky enough and confident enough and ticked off enough (laughs) to open my big mouth, I'm getting a call from Fox News to say something. Guys, speak up with confidence and courage in the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom, and your peers will listen because they want to be free. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. Okay. Understand. Lord, we pray that you'd give us a miracle, that you would help us to take in our brains what we've heard, to love your word and to know it, to pursue the truth and be free, and to go from the table to the tower and serve you in Jesus' name. Amen.